Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hello, this is episode 17 of the podcast for commercial real estate people. My guest today is Joshua Charles, who is the executive director of One Commercial in Sydney. Josh spent many years working for some of the biggest names in commercial real estate, and he quickly rose to positions of big responsibility across geographies and business lines. However, in 2016, he decided it was time to go back to the basics of serving clients in his area of expertise, which is the industrial property markets. So he founded One Commercial and he hasn't looked back. During today's interview, you'll learn why he decided to specialize in industrial property markets in the first place. It's a really good answer I hadn't thought of. Also, you'll find out what it takes to be promoted into more responsibility in a corporate environment and you'll hear Josh's take on what people just starting out in the industry should focus on to become successful. Back in episode one, I made a commitment to listeners of CRE Success, the podcast. I said that every episode would go for no longer than 30 minutes. And I've kept my word on that. If any interview goes for longer, I take the time to edit it down so I can keep that promise. Now, it may seem like a small thing and maybe no one even notices, but keeping your word in commercial real estate is very important. For better or for worse, many people have lower levels of trust in real estate professionals compared with other industries. Even if you think that is more related to residential, I do think we often get tarnished by the same brush and generally as service providers I think we do get a little bit less respect than other professional service sectors like lawyers and accountants so I'm not quite sure if it is only just a residential thing what it does mean though is that we have less scope to not keep our word when we are caught not meeting our commitments it can prove a bias that already exists so next time you promise to call someone back within a certain time period make sure you make it a priority to do that even if the update is there is no update It's better to keep your word and make that call than it is to feed into someone's existing stereotypes that people in real estate are not to be trusted. Here's something that you can trust. I've got an excellent interview with Joshua Charles of One Commercial coming up in 30 seconds. Join pioneering landlords and property managers using technology and data powered by the leader in commercial property management software, Released. Born on the cloud, Released gives you centralized management of your portfolio with instant access to client and lease information across property managers, landlords, accountants, and tenants. With released smart automation, managing single to large multi-tenanted properties with complex outgoings is a breeze, driving real-time insights so you can make proactive data-led decisions. Visit re-leased.com to find out more. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Josh, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Fantastic, Darren. Thanks for having me. Well, the first thing that we do is we step into the virtual elevator for your elevator pitch so we can find out who you are. Josh, who are you? Yeah, thanks, Darren. Joshua Charles is my name. I've now been in uh, commercial real estate for around 24 years. I had my first job straight out of high school into residential property management. And from that, I went into a, uh, a small commercial firm in the suburbs. And following that, I went into Collier's Jardine and then International. It became, I, uh, I spent about eight or nine years there, became the youngest director uh, and then it, I think it was the age of 28, I, uh, 28, 29, moved across to CBRE. I was recruited to run their South Sydney office. Uh, again, I was their youngest managing director at CBRE. 
And then after about three or four years running that South Sydney business, I was then made the regional director for Australia, New Zealand for all of CBRE's industrial investments and logistics groups. And then uh, spent a couple of years with Cushman and Wakefield when they launched in Australia as the uh, managing director of their capital markets group, which is code for big investment sales. So I was also the managing director of both of their, uh, of all of their New South Wales business units uh, as well. And then uh, about four or five years ago, I um, started my own firm, One Commercial, and we haven't looked back. Awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing about One Commercial, but uh, given that impressive career trajectory that we've just heard about, I'd love to hear about how you've managed to manoeuvre your career and continually take on more responsibility. How have you found yourself gaining those opportunities as you've, as you've progressed through the organisations? In commercial real estate, being able to, uh, to be a producer, to deliver on what companies expect of you in terms of uh, sales and leasing and, um, and certainly the financial is a massive part of it. And you're not going to move up the tree if you aren't able to do that part. And, I, and, and fortunately, I was very good at that at a young age and I was uh, delivering on transactions and fees to the companies that I was involved in probably above my, uh, my years in terms of experience. And then the, the second part of that is I think putting yourself in the, in the position where Letting those people above you know that you not only want that next role, but that you're ready for it. And I think uh, that's been a really big part of it is not sort of standing by and being a bit of a wallflower and waiting for opportunities to come to you, but um, making sure that you're managing the the situation, that those people making those decisions are aware of your ambition and uh, and showing them that you're willing and, and able to do that job. I couldn't agree more. I think one of your achievements that's been quite impressive has been while you've taken all of this responsibility throughout your career, you've also remained one of the top producing individuals while leading these market leading firms. So does that mean that your primary leadership approach is to lead by example? Yeah, look, absolutely it is. And I think it's a, it's a really important part of commercial agency in a big firm. It's very, very common for people to get into more senior positions, particularly some of the roles that I've had, and take their foot off the gas in terms of fee generation and dealing with clients, which ultimately is what got them to that position anyway. And it's also it's almost a situation that shouldn't shouldn't be allowed to happen. You shouldn't take your best fee earners and best client interaction talent and then move them into a senior role and expect them to run a business and move away from what got them there in the first place. And um, yeah, I'll give you an example. And this is, a, my, my brother was a police officer for 20 years and he, uh, he became the youngest chief inspector of um, Sydney City Police Station and eventually uh, moved out of the police not long after. And I said to him, why? And he said, look, I'm not a police officer anymore. I'm, a, I'm an administrator. And it, it, you know, it comes back, it's really, it was a really good learning curve for me and that when you get to these really senior positions, you've got to be careful not to just become an administrator. That, that's not what you're being paid for. You're being, you're being paid to be the leader of a group because you were really, really good at what you did. So don't let that part go. So does that mean that commercial real estate as an industry should bring in other leaders to do that administration and not take away their top performers from their day-to-day jobs? Or does it mean that you need to sort of walk and chew gum at the same time and, and do both if you're able to? I think for many, many years, it's, it has to use your vernacular, it has been a walk and chew gum scenario. And um, you know, there's been plenty of examples of it working, but 
Similarly, there's been many examples where it probably hasn't gone the way that it should have. Um, I'll give you another example. When I was running, when I first went over to CBRE, I was running their South Sydney office. And I think when we started there, it was probably about you know seven or eight people. I ended up taking that to about a 35-person office in three or four years. And you know, we were the second highest, most profitable office in the Asia-Pacific region on a percentage basis behind Tokyo. And I was the highest fee rider during that time. So not only am I leading the office and I'm recruiting all those people, doing all the admin and bringing clients in, but I'm also out there doing my own deals and, and so much so that I was able to generate the most fees in that business. So I think it's a combination that if you can get it right, it works. But there is also a, a, an emerging pattern now where you are seeing some of these bigger companies having the, the head of those groups, the head of that business line, and then maybe potentially having a general manager under them. And I don't think that's a bad idea. Right. Well, leadership in commercial real estate means in part having some very big and potentially fragile egos reporting to you, some of whom can be quite difficult to manage. What have you learned about managing high performers in the roles that you've held? That's the understatement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, there are some very big egos in commercial real estate, um, but you get that in, in a lot of industries where you're handling big dollar amounts and, and certainly in commercial uh, and certainly at the top end of commercial where we can be doing transactions in the hundreds of millions of dollars um, or leases with fees where the fee can be a million, two million, three million dollars. So it's a very important part of, uh, of running these businesses that you do need to make sure that we're all across it. And I think, you know, to give you an, an example um, you, you, you have it almost like a pyramid. You know, if you have a team in Western Sydney, for instance, or in Western Melbourne, Western Melbourne, okay, you might have one or two really senior guys who are, who are earning millions of dollars in year, a year in fees for the company. Then underneath that, you'll have three or four middle tier guys who, you know, might be five to 10 years experience. And then underneath that, you'll have six or seven. You bring one person into that team uh, and it can upset, upset the apple cart. So you really do have to play chess with these things. Every action has a reaction. And if you're running a business and you've got a team just right, but we're also looking to grow all the time, you've just got to be very careful about those decisions you make, particularly on the recruiting front. People can become very, very delicate about you know, certain situations and, and not want the status quo changed, really. Yeah, I hear. I'm curious, what is it about the industrial sector that attracted you to specialise in it in the first place? And how has it managed to keep your focus over your career as you've managed across, you know, so many different geographies and numerous business lines? Yeah, sure. It's, it's an interesting question. And I've always thought it was quite a clear answer, but um, clearly people in office and retail, retail didn't think the same. But when I, when I first started, and to a large effect, it's still the situation now, as an industrial agent, you can lease and sell property. Whereas in the office markets in the city, you had the salespeople and you had the leasing people. And the same with retail, leasing and salespeople. But in industrial, we're always taught you lease and you sell. And I figured it out pretty much at an early age that you know if the leasing market's down, then the sales market might be up and, and vice versa. So you know, I, I thought to myself, okay, what's the most sort of recession-proof type business that I can get into? And um, once I was in it, I just fell in love with it. Um, I really enjoyed the, the being able to sell and lease part. And uh, I, I just, you know, if I'm being really honest, I really just liked going and standing in big spaces and, you know, being able to sort of sell or lease those properties. And, you know, I found sort of being out of the city and in the car, you know, we're based in the city now and, 
you know, you're walking everywhere and then back to your desk and you walk and you're back to the desk. Whereas in industrial, if you're, you're out on inspections with a client and you may be showing them four or five properties, you know, you're, you're covering a lot of ground and you're getting out and, and getting around and, you know, that might take you three or four hours. I just always enjoyed it. I'm sure there's people that, that wouldn't, but, you know, given the situation that's emerged, particularly in the last six months over COVID, industrial is for the first time ever now the asset class of choice very high in demand. And um, I'm pretty glad I'm in it, let's be honest. I think COVID-19 has certainly brought industrial to the fore, as you say, it's made it the darling of the asset classes at the moment. But this is a trend that's been going on for a while, I think, with the growth of e-commerce. And has COVID-19 brought forward some of the sector's future growth? Or is what's happening with COVID-19 actually fundamentally changing the game in terms of how much more important the logistics sector will be in the overall mix moving forward? Darren, it's changed forever. Um, COVID's had a massive impact on, on industrial. I was in a meeting this morning and there was a stat thrown across the table. I haven't seen the actual data on it, but um, Australia Post have had four years worth of growth in six months. There is an actual stat out of, uh, out of Australia Post that I have seen that between uh, April 2019 uh, to April 2020, they had over 80% growth in their online postage handling. So think about that from an industrial warehousing and distribution point of view, that's all got to be stored somewhere. And there's so many industries affected by this. Just think about sort of the Coles and Woolworths and the Amazons and the DHLs. Everyone who's delivering all of these packages has got everything you touch that you get delivered at your house has got to be stored somewhere. So there has been an, an enormous change in the industrial landscape and the other part of that is that's that's on the on the leasing and the use side of it, but there's there's never been a greater weight of money, uh, and that's a term we use in the in commercial space in terms of commercial investment property. The weight of money wanting to get in to buy these assets has absolutely well and truly shifted to industrial and to logistics, big warehouses, big distribution centres. People aren't buying offices at the moment because we don't know what it's going to look like over the next couple of years. People aren't necessarily excited to buy retail centres because, again, you know, uh, are people going to have the same sort of retail footprint that they have had over the last 10 or 20 years in the next five years? You know, there's, there's certain views on that. But the one view that everyone agrees on is that warehouses are, are going to be used a whole lot more. Well, in early 2016, uh, you were arguably at the top of your game and you decided to venture out and start your own business, which one commercial. Can you tell me how you arrived at the decision to branch out on your own? Yeah, look, I, um, I was at Cushman and Wakefield at the time and I had become, I guess, a bit of what I was talking to you about before. I was an administrator and my job was very much to shake that business up, to grow it to reorganize it and basically, you know, make the, make the thing bigger and make it more profitable. And I was spending 90% of my time either administrating, but mainly recruiting. And that's not what I do. I'm a commercial agent and I enjoy it. And um, that wasn't for me. So, you know, was it, um, was it something I was going to hang around and do in, you know, in perpetuity or was I going to get back to what I, I love doing and what I am good at doing? So I took the decision and um, I've got to say it, it was probably one of the scariest decisions of my life. But, you know, I was really happy that within sort of four to six or eight weeks, 
you know, we'd already had a couple of big deals under our, under our belt and um, it was game on ever since. So what sets one commercial apart from your competitors in the marketplace? Yeah, look, I think one of the things is certainly the fact that um, while I am the owner of the business, I'm, I am very much hands-on literally every day. So I made a decision when I, when I got back to this, as I said to you just a moment ago, this is about going back to do what you love and, and do what I do best, which is list, sell and lease property. And I think that's, again, go back to that issue with a lot of the senior guys in, um, in bigger companies. Many of them will have their day job and their administration job. So that's not me anymore. I think the other thing that sets one commercial apart is we don't have lines on a map. We go where our clients want us to go. We are doing business in every state and territory of Australia. We've just done a transaction in Auckland. So we don't, um, if, if that was me and I was in one of my previous employers, I would have to hand that business over to somebody in Adelaide or Perth. And that's not what the clients want. We find that the clients create a, a level of trust with an individual and we follow them and they follow us to wherever that business is required. You know, we've got many clients. Um, we, uh, we've just done a, a transaction for one client in Brisbane, in Melbourne, in Adelaide and in Auckland. So, uh, and they get to deal with, in that particular instance, me, on every occasion. So that is certainly a big tick and, and one of the ones that we find the clients really appreciate. Any downside to having your own business? Look, I haven't seen any yet. I know, uh, I know that doesn't sound like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm opening the lid completely, but I've got to tell you, um, you know, I, I, it was my job for many, many years to stop people from leaving the big firms and that there was, you know, there was us and no, other, no, no one else. But I have seen a really big surge in senior brokers moving out into their own businesses, particularly in the last four or five years. Now, if you went back 10 or 15 years ago, it was very easy to sort of say, okay, well, you've been here for so long. The clients know you're here. Now, when you walk out the door and you go and start your own business with a click of a button on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, and certainly on text message and email, everybody knows where you are. You're back in touch with all of your clients. People are a lot more transferable nowadays than, uh, than they used to be. Um, if you went to a firm a while ago, you were there for a long time. But, and look, you don't want to be moving around. That's, that's certainly not what I'm saying. But it's much easier to get out and get in contact with people and let them know what you're up to than it has been in the past. And I think it's interesting that that trend is happening in spite of the fact that a lot of the big firms still have big checks to write to sign on big talent. So there's something going on with people actually are making the choice to go and start their own shop. Yeah, look, you'll always get certainly some people that are more comfortable working at a big firm and don't want to have to think about any of the back of house type things. From my point of view, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that you know, I, I really enjoy being my own boss. I enjoy being able to select the people that come and work with us. And we have a great team of people who are really dedicated to their craft, very focused. We put a lot of emphasis on training as well. So from, from my point of view, I can create the type of work environment that I like. And, um, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of, plenty of guys out there that really enjoy being with the big firms. Josh, let's uh, move forward and talk about success. And I know that you've made a real considered effort to contribute to the conversation of what it takes to be successful in our industry. I think that piece that was in the May-June 
2020 edition of the REI NSW Real Estate Journal was a fantastic example of this. It should be required reading, I think, for anyone (laughs) who's looking to succeed in our industry. Um, Before we hear some of your specific advice, I'd like to ask you, why have you decided to take on that responsibility to to be a role model and to to share your tips of, of how to succeed in the industry? Yeah, it's, it's, thanks, Darren. I um, when the REI came to me uh, about uh, doing that feature, um, I jumped at it. I had a lot of people very willing to share their ideas and thoughts with me when I was coming up through the grades, and I guess it's just a bit of paying it forward. I was able to get into really senior positions at quite a young age, and um, I've never been one of these people that think that you need to have grey hair to. Um, to be able to do a certain job. I, I was probably the complete opposite, even though I'm, my hair is fully gray now, let's be honest. But um, you, if you can do the job, then you're old enough. And um, I just think that, you know, while there's plenty of good commercial talent out there, training has always been, and mentoring has always been something that is spoken about a lot, but doesn't actually happen. And um, we've made a commitment to that at one commercial. And if by talking on your podcast or by doing that interview with the REI that we can help people, then you know, I'm giving back and helping people like I, I was helped. And what benefit does that type of coverage bring to your business and to your clients, if any? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, look, we're not in it for benefit, but it is funny just, uh, just how many people have reached out after that REI article and other interviews that, that we've given looking for a role. And um Interestingly, a lot of lot of them are in residential real estate. You know, I've had a lot of success over the years employing younger residential real estate agents who maybe wanted want to get into that commercial sector. And um, so that you know, as I say, we're not looking for a benefit from it. It's more of a, a a thank you to the industry that's given me everything. But yeah, there have been some some uh, some positive side effects. So can you tell me now what are some of those tips that you have uh, given in an article like that and others about what it takes to be successful in commercial real estate? Yeah, look, um, there's, a, there's a couple of different answers to that, Darren. I suppose, are we talking about newer, younger agents? Yeah, let's let's go with that. Yep. Okay. Well, look, I think I, I, I've always been, a, I, I got very lucky when I started with Colliers. I, I went into a team in the South Sydney industrial business and I was surrounded by some really, really high achievers. I always use the analogy, I, I didn't learn to ski, snow ski, until I was about 21. And um, I, all my friends were great skiers. So when I started going skiing, it was pretty much, you know, learn the, the basics over half a day and then we're going on the black runs, keep up. So, and I, I use that because once I was in that Collier's team in that South Sydney business, everybody was really good at their game. And if you didn't, you didn't get up to that level pretty quickly, you're going to be left behind. So my advice for anybody is, is to go and find you know, a really good role model and attach yourself to them. I've, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, some people, particularly in this market, you know, there's very high unemployment rates. People should probably be looking at you know, potential sort of work experience or internships where they can, uh, there are minimal costs to a firm, but they get to have a look behind a curtain. They get to talk and sit near those successful people every day. So I think that's a big thing. Probably one of the biggest things is that this is an energy game, um, what we do. I'm more energised at what I do today than I've ever been in my career. I, 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 I pride myself on my work ethic, but that would be just a sideshow if I wasn't coming to work every day with that energy ready to go. So making sure that you're rested, making sure that you, you've got time for your family and, and everything outside of work. But, you know, when you, uh, we've had examples recently where, 
you know, you, you might have a situation where you've got somebody who's a little bit too more interested in their weekends than what's going on Monday morning. That's not going to work. And in this industry, there is such big competition that if you don't turn up with all guns blazing, you're just not going to be able to cut it. Well, Josh, I think one way that you've really set yourself apart from the competition recently is through the social media uh, coverage and activity that you have. And that's how I originally came across you. I saw some of your great videos that you you put on LinkedIn. And how have you come to realize or why did you decide to start a social media strategy when it comes to how you promote and connect with your audience and with your network? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And it's something that I've probably only been doing now for about 18 months. I go back to when when I first started in real estate. We'd uh, we'd print out you know three, four, five hundred canvas letters, and you know, you'd post date them. So you'd print them out today, and you'd date them for two days from now. So you'd have time to sign them and envelope them. And I'd literally take them home, and and these are all to everybody in your market, telling them what's going on. You've just sold this. I've just leased that. Fast forward to today, and at the click of a button, I can be on a on a proper at, at a property, do a video, and put that online, which I literally did this morning and yesterday, and thousands of people can see what's going on, and then you get that brand recognition straight away. So there is a lot of that potential for top of mind advantage in our business, Darren. You know the the yeah what what's to say that the morning that I put something on Instagram and one of our potential clients sees it, they're not going out to agent that morning saying, okay, guys, we need some, we need a submission from three agents for the sale of this hundred million dollar asset. And I can tell you that actually has happened that exact scenario. So we're buying ourselves a seat at the table and making sure that, you know, we're not as big as some of the big firms, you know, we, we've got to make a, a bit more noise with what we've got. Yeah, social media is a bit of a, uh, a democratizer, a level playing field. <laughs> it is. It, absolutely it is. And, um, and if it wasn't for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, we wouldn't be able to convey that success to 95% of the people that we want to. Josh, the final question I want to ask you today is about what you're currently focused on that is contributing to your own personal success. I think the things that we're focused on at the moment are these types of markets, okay? We're in a recession. We, COVID's getting a lot of attention at the moment, but we are in a recession. And these can be really good opportunities for companies like ours. Um, we've seen our numbers actually go up over the last six months. I know that sounds strange, but in situations like this, uh, there is a bit of a flight from by clients to experience. And we're finding that clients are coming to us because they've all got bosses and they need to report back to their bosses on what they're doing to get these properties leased or sold. So what, what we're doing is we're actually spending a lot of time looking for new talent. Some people might be in bigger firms and they're feeling like they're getting a, a lot of pressure. People I know for a fact have gone from a weekly sales meeting, what have you got on to being asked two or three times a week, what's happening with your work in progress. That gets very old very quick and people feel threatened. You know, there's already been rounds of uh, redundancies at most of the big firms. You know, is that going to happen again? So from our point of view, we can look at this as an opportunity to grow our market share, grow the size of our team, and potentially get some new team members that just might be looking for a little, something a little bit more secure and not necessarily big brother looking over the shoulder every five minutes. Excellent. Well, Josh, I want to say um, it's been great to hear about your climb to the top of the corporate ladder and then transitioning into your own business and your ongoing contribution to providing insights that help others succeed. So thank you so much for joining us on CRE Success, the podcast.
been a pleasure, Darren. Thanks for having me. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Thanks to Josh for being our guest on this week's episode. During the interview, I mentioned an article which I said should be required reading for anyone in commercial real estate. It's from the REI, which is the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales magazine. And if you'd like to read it, you can check it out on Josh's LinkedIn profile. There is a link to that in the podcast episode notes. If you heard last week's episode, you may have noticed a couple of similarities. For example, both commercial real estate professionals who've worked in large firms in Sydney and both decided to branch out by going to their own shops. Well, we've had a few guests from the larger agencies on and I thought it would be good to hear from a few more of the independents. So it's a theme I'll follow up on again in our next episode. Oh, and by the way, last episode I also shared that my blue Yeti microphone had to be retired. Well, thanks to those very efficient warehouses which were a part of today's episode, my new one has already arrived and this one is even blue. You can check out a picture on our Instagram page, which is at CRE Success if you are interested. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for listening and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at CREsuccess.co. I recently visited one of Hub Australia's beautiful workspaces in Melbourne. Hub is Australia's homegrown premium flexible workspace operator with over 3,000 members across Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide. They offer great membership benefits like in-house cafes, exercise studios and stylish end-of-trip facilities, as well as workspace solutions for businesses of all sizes, from freelancers to large corporate teams who have made the upgrade to flexible workspaces. If you want to learn more about Hub Australia, visit Hub Australia. Australia.com.